Hello and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. And Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. Each week, we talk through the big property stories of the week and chat from time to time to a variety of property professionals. So we'd love you to get involved in the conversation wherever you're watching us today um, and and add your comments in the comments section below uh, where you're watching. So Property Matters is also now available, of course, as a podcast, as we announced last week. So wherever you get your favorite podcasts, you can pick up your Property Matters. Also, we'd like to welcome those people watching on uh, Catch Up in the week one from our weekly mail out as well. So let's get into the news and welcome our property professional. It's Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Yes, good morning. Good morning, uh, good morning, Paul. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, a fantastic week uh, for property, as always. Plenty to um, get our teeth into today um, and uh, plenty that um, uh, the government is throwing out there at the Gordland on the property side, and I'm sure... Paul will be testing me and see if I'm up to speed on that. <laughs> well, yes, I mean it's been a when, you know when the prime minister sits and makes a big speech in uh, in Blackpool about uh, resurrecting buy to buy. Well, not exactly resurrecting it, I guess, because it's always been there, but but taking it further, extending it. He unveiled new plans this week to make it easier for people to buy their own home. Uh, his intention to extend the right to buy and allow housing housing association tenants to buy their properties at a discounted price would in turn create fresh housing stock for estate and letting agents in the future. Interestingly, the scheme has been abolished in Scotland and Wales, which I wasn't aware of, uh, but it's still available in Northern Ireland. He said he will finish the right to own reforms that Margaret Thatcher started in the 1980s, but he also scrapped his manifesto pledge to build 300,000 homes a year, instead saying that there'll be lots more. Uh, Right to buy has taken around 2 million homes into private ownership, but is right to buy as rosy as the headlines suggest? Uh, right to buy works if uh, you replace the homes that you take out of social housing. But sadly, history suggests that that's not been the case uh, from the statements and promises made this week uh, that they don't think they will be replaced. There was no actual guarantee to do that. So what's your view on it, Joe? Yes, interesting, Paul. Um, uh, first of all, uh, any incentive or any creation that helps young people, first-time buyers especially, uh, to get onto the first run of the property ladder is always uh, welcome uh, as an agent. Um, and certainly um, as a parent, uh, for the future of our children, it's always important to see how they are going to get onto the property market, the property ladder, and whatever incentives that are created to assist that are, are always uh, welcome. However, there are always controversies uh, in what those systems are and how those systems are going to work. And I think um, what Margaret Thatcher did many years ago was is open that market. And of course, yes, it was very successful. Um, and the ownership of, of property became a number one issue in most people's life. Um, the average layman, you know, their target is, I always say, if you stand on the corner of a street, not for the wrong reasons, by the way, but for the right reasons, and I actually stopped and asked the questions to 10 people, you know, what would they like to do? They will tell you about property and home ownership is the ideal thing. They'd like to own it, they'd like to buy it, they'd like a way to get onto the property ladder, whatever that way may be. And so what Boris's suggestion here is, is a to continue uh, what was the uh, the right to uh, the right to buy back then, and of course Margaret Thatcher was successful in doing that. Um, and she went out with with controversy. Some said it was a good idea, and some said it was a bad idea. But like I said, anything that brings um, 
the opportunity for first-time homeowners to get the chance to get onto the property ladder is always welcome. Um, the main thing here is 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 about the stock and mm. whether uh, selling. I mean, there there is a huge shortage of um, socially uh, available houses. Um, the government's no, any successive government has not really been successful in achieving their inverted comma three hundred thousand homes uh, in any given time. So um, I think it's a, it's a massive challenge to say we're going to do even more when we haven't actually been able to do the given target that has have, that's been sitting there for God knows how long. Um, then to sell off the stock um, at a discounted price to people is a, an advantage that for the ones that are in there but a disadvantage for all those that would like to go so the average man on the street who's working who doesn't have the benefit of social housing who doesn't who is not in a housing association accommodation um this actually in in, in my opinion kind of encourages people to want to get onto the housing association ladder because all of a sudden they see a, a massive potential discount being offered to them if they are a a tenant of the uh, housing associations. The next question really is about the housing associations. How are they going to replace their stock? Yeah, I mean, you can see the the, 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 the sense behind it. I mean, many people are already paying rent that would equal a mortgage payment. So, um, uh, and the real problem that they have, of course, is they're hindered by deposit requirements and also, of course, mortgage approval criteria. Many of them just simply can't get over that first hurdle, but they can afford what effectively is a monthly mortgage repayment. So the suggestion is that, you know, maybe it would be better for the government to put money into low cost, low deposit finance options to help pave the way for these people to get on the ladder. And, and maybe something like fractional ownership, you know, part ownership in association with, uh, um, with, with, a, um, with, with, with a housing association. That exists already. I mean, they have the, the housing associations have several different avenues that are available. They, they do uh, part ownership, uh, shared ownership schemes, as they call them where people can buy maybe 25% or 10% or 20% of the value of, of the property that they are living in um, and then pay rent. The problem is that, you know, it actually works out for some cases a lot more expensive because they've now taken on a 25%, 20% mortgage, which they've got to pay one, one set of loans to. And yet the, the housing association are still going to want their pound of flesh for their rent. Um, and so, historically it's kind of not been as attractive other than for somebody who is gonna who is an investor in their own mind they have an investor brain and they say to themselves well actually you know at least i've got a 25 percent uh step in the ladder rather than nothing um so i'll i'll go through this pain to actually look at the game well here's the game um, the gain is that they could actually buy the balance of it now for 70 percent discount so it's a case of taking that plunge of a small percentage so they do and have offered that historically back in the back in the days and some people remember this the councils themselves actually used to offer mortgages um, um and and they would offer a discounted mortgage for uh people that were renting from them in order for them to buy that property and therefore that was a bit more flexible that that um changed some time ago and it may be that that's what they've got to reinvent um for mm. people that are in uh, tenanted properties to be able to go back to the council and say, look, I'm paying you, um, you know, X, Y, Z rent. Um, I would rather be paying you a mortgage 
and own it at the end of my, my tenure or 20, 25 years, 10, whatever that term is going to be. Um, that means that they've got to, the councils have got to go into um, the government or go into the money market and obviously try and uh, encourage people to lend them the money at a lower rate so that they can lend it out. So there's potential that margins are there. But, you know, some councils, uh, not, to, not to name any, have actually been bankrupt. So they're not in a position to go and raise the money in the first place. So they're probably going to have to sell their stock in order to just cover their own debts, let alone. So there's, there's, there's a lot of um, things that I think are underlining below the idea. But of course, from a marketing point of view, I think um, it, it, it's a great scheme to encourage people to buy or own their own home going forward. Yeah, I mean, if you th if you look at the if you take it back to brass tacks and look at the nub of the problem, I mean, what we've got to do is to help people into social housing and help reduce the waiting list. But of course, what the danger is here with the right to buy is it actually diverts government funding away from new affordable housing because they're giving people discounts to buy their homes. So at best, one home that's already occupied will be sold with a large subsidy to the current occupier, and in its place, another one will be built. Built, meaning that the number of homes for low earners and the more vulnerable will not change. So you're taking one out and then you're putting another one in. So in net result, no more. And we've got to build 140,000 homes, according to some people. Yes, and, and that that one-to-one that -one is definitely not going to work. But, you know, let, let's just take this myth out. The housing associations don't pay market price to buy these properties. They buy them at a knockdown price in the first place from developers. It's part of the Section 106 agreement that they have to have. So a certain percentage of different towns, let's say 30% um, or 20%, or in some cases, some towns, it's literally 50% of the developer's profit that they want. Um, so if they're building 100 homes, uh, 50, 50 of those have got to be social housing and they've got to be sold to the housing association at a reduced price, almost at the um, knockdown land value and, and build it for nothing for them because they're going to build a block. So imagine building a block of 100 flats. They're going to give 50 of those um, to the housing association as part of the planning situation. So they haven't paid a lot for them. Um, they've had the privilege of having to have those. And so what they're saying is now that they'll pass that discount that they managed to get from developers onto uh, potentially people that would buy and they'll continue to go down that route but eventually there's going to come up a point where even developers are going to say you know what you're actually you're extracting the michael here because we're we're building them for you we're reducing our profit building materials have gone up time the time the different and yet you want you know a big piece of this pie um and, and then you want to offer that discount down the road i mean there was there was schemes that came out recently which was obviously um uh, so a help to buy scheme that came out recently. The help to buy scheme was designed um, that five percent of the deposit was put in by um, the purchaser, ten percent of the deposit was to be put in by the developer, um, and ten percent would be put in by the government. Um, so you know, but that meant that the developer could not take his ten percent profit or uplift out until. Um, three, four, five, six years down the road when maybe that person decided to sell. Um, so they were putting, so they're looking at a 20, 25% margin as a profit. 10% of it was going to be actually um, 
left in the in the in the property for the benefit of the of the government scheme to help them buy. So, you know, they they do push the pressure on to developers quite a lot, which makes it harder to reach those targets that they keep setting out to themselves to say we're going to do. So, you know, it's it's robbing Paul to pay Peter really. Mm. Well, one place where this conversation has been raging for some time has been on Chess Mortgage's website. We were discussing this before we went live today, and uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, Bob Singh is able to join us now. So, uh, Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you for for letting us drag you out of bed and get you onto the show this morning. Uh, Much appreciated. But we know that you've got some strong views on this, and so have your uh, customers and followers of your website. So give us your take on this, Bob. Yeah, uh, interesting. I have to say that, but I think more of a pub- publicity is done to take away the uh, attention of, from the other matters uh, ha- happening in Parliament right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as Jeff said, right to buy has always been there. It's been a, a useful tool for people to get onto the property ladder, especially with the large di- large discounts. But I think um, the housing stock that's left yet to be sold is probably the less desirable stock. Um, you know concrete construction, high-rise, high-density type buildings, you know, balcony access. And that's the sort of stuff that lenders don't really like. And it's not really going to hold you in good stead, even if you buy that property, because the escalation in price isn't going to be that great as a as a standard construction. Um, but, you know, if, but the, uh, the issue was that what they want to introduce now is allowing you to use your benefits to service mortgages. So unless they bring back uh, their own sort of bank or, the, or where the councils start to lend the money, you know, the, the retail banks aren't going to be interested. You know, they do take benefits into account, but how long are those benefits going to be there? You know, um, you know, are those benefits lifetime? You know, and would you really want to take on a 25-year debt no, not knowing the benefit's going to be there next year or not? You know, so I don't think it's going to work from that angle. I don't think he, he can force the banks to lend. Uh, money to people on benefits, that's still going to be a decision decision for the banks to say yes or no, uh, unless they're forced by some sort of new law, which I doubt, because ultimately, banks have to lend responsibly. And part of that, you know, assessment process is to assess the lo- you know, longevity of the income from that person. So um, we do help people on universal credit, you know, but we can't use the housing benefit part because that disappears once you buy. Just a bit from the uh, housing association side for the moment, guys, um, you know, surely, you know, they're not going to be able to offer sufficient discounts and replace stock like for like without government support. I mean, when you consider that they're under significant financial pressure already, you know, they've got to invest in their portfolio, they've got to look after remediation work, they've got uh, cladding and fire safety to consider with their buildings, they've got to hit zero carbon targets by 2050, not to mention additional investment to increase the value of the portfolio. And then you take the legal side of it, where they're selling something to somebody and the government's kind of putting money into it. It's, it, it, it seems fraught with issues. Yeah. It's going to place a significant stress on their cash flow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, unless they, you know, by some means are given more funding by the government to start lending money, you know, to build more, you know, to build more developments. Uh, but it's a very long game. This, this, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, and the process of changing bank lending criteria, the process of giving the housing associations the power to lend and become lenders themselves, etc., is not a, an overnight process. 
So I, I think it's more of a publicity stunt. The industry more, you know, pretty much ridiculed the suggestion anyway uh, in, the, in, the, in the following day's press, you know, yeah. as unbelievable. <laughs> um, let, let's see. I've got, a, I've got a quote here, which I must read you, actually, from one property professional. I won't mention the name. We've seen how previous initiatives allowing social tenants to purchase their properties has backfired, as it cases, causes a significant shortage of stock for those most desperately in need of help, while also driving up property values in the process. Of course, this time around, it will be different as they pledge to replace these purchased properties on a one-for-one -one basis. Unfortunately, if you believe that, you may also believe that the drunken shenanigans that took place in Downing Street during the pandemic really were innocent work-related events. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 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 Generally speaking, there hasn't been a lot of support for it in the in the in the property press, has there, Joe? No, I think Paul. Um, good morning, Bob, and um, thanks for joining us. Um, I think the, the the reality is that, uh, in my opinion, the property market has always been a great catalyst, a great driver for people's minds. Because one of the things that everybody wants to do is ultimately one day own their own property. And as as I said earlier on, if there is ever a way they feel that they can actually do that then um the government knows that when you think back just over the last two now three years of pandemic uh, the only thing that was actually still uh, working well was the property market and the reason for it was that it actually has so many spokes that it actually feeds because when somebody buys a home they're actually dealing with a lot of other industries including the building industry you know, the trade bodies, the, the DIY stores, the carpets, the cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and Boris is, you know, and anyone that is in power will understand that by using the housing market, and the housing market has been used as a yo-yo for as long as I've been in it, because every time things go wrong, they say, oh, it's down to the housing market, we'll increase the rates that they're doing, and every time they think things are going right, let's do this because we need extra help from the housing market. Um, the housing market has been the actual tool that has kept majority of the governments afloat to a large extent. And I think this is uh, very much the same thing, though while they do that, it does encourage, it does um, give people the opportunity of saying, and the hope, should I say, that you know, there is an opportunity for me to buy. And can you imagine being a housing association tenant who now has an opportunity to buy at a 70% discount um, providing that they they are working and they have a job and they're not living off the benefit side. But to make it even worse, if they're having a benefit and that benefit, as Bob says, isn't considered, but some of the other parts of that benefit may be considered in helping them raise the mortgage, what a better deal can you get? And that is to have the government supporting you in the first place to pay your benefits. Secondly, the government offering you a 70% discount on a home that you're renting from a housing association. Um, I think the queue for the housing association demand could get very high very quickly because all of a sudden everybody's going to turn around and say, well, if I actually own, had a housing association property, the chances of me getting a 70% discount is high. Um, not sure it's particularly well thought out from the layman's point of view, but yes, it makes some sense for the market and the marketing of, 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 the, uh, of the product. Um, and then, of course, it's who the lenders are, and that's where, where Bob really comes into it because... What lenders, and as you rightly said this morning already, that high-rise concrete construction, all the constructions of the properties that are out of the norm are not going to get uh, normal high street lenders to lend on them. In fact, I know for a fact the majority of the um, steel construction frames are pretty much no lender. I think apart from one 
that I know of now is actually still in the market that, that lends on those sort of things. So, you know, but if you go to a bridger or you go somewhere else, then you're going to pay a lot of money for it and you've got to have enough equity. So, you know, part of the reason Property Matters exists is because property does matter. And, and, and we know that week in, week out, there is so much that comes out for the property market and all those that are interested in it. And here is a perfect example of what the government is now trying to do, as you rightly say, steer its away, you know, his thought process away from other things that have happened in the last year or so and focus on the property market and actually get more people interested in that, give them a chance to buy, the, buy their home, get the mortgages and hopefully have a winning formula in the, in the long stage. So whilst I don't want to make it a political point, I think there is an angle for the politics of this. Let's just um, the, um, address another fact here. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we know that once this is offered, you know, the desire to purchase is going to be far greater than their ability to plan and process new builds. So they're going to sell them quicker than they're going to be able to build the replacements. You know, if you add in the lengthy planning process, nimbyism, shortage of materials, labour, that kind of thing. So we're going to be selling off the houses really rather quickly because everyone's going to want to jump on the bandwagon and it's going to take ages to replace the stock. So it could get worse before it gets better. And also, if you think about the comparison to the sale of council houses decades ago, it's not really debt relevant because council houses were owned by the state. And whilst they had a notional value, the money for discounts did not have to be found. These are currently privately owned by a housing association. What do we think about that, Bob? Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, people will want to buy those houses. And my advice is, yes, you should try if you can. Um, even though you know it may not be something that you can maybe, maybe later sell, it can still be a long-term investment for you, you know, if prices uh, keep on rising. And... You know, once you've done your five year stint and uh, you're outside your exemption period, that property is yours. So you could sell it, you could refinance mm -hmm. it, and maybe release more money at that time. And maybe your position has improved where you don't need to claim benefits and you can maybe convert that into a buy to let property. So it does open more doors than remaining a tenant all your life. So I think it's always good advice. But the cost of funding these uh, non-standard construction properties is quite severe. You know, it's very, very high. Mm. It's almost double, if not treble, the standard cost. So it's like borrowing three times as much anyway. So whilst you think you're getting a discount, the amount of monthly mortgage you're paying is the same as paying a mortgage three times the size. Mm. So you know, I'd love to see the formula that they're going to come up with. So that, that's really what I'm waiting for. How is it going to work? Let's just look at this from the view of the person that's currently paying rent, desperately trying to save money, who's got a job and done the right thing. You know, they're earning probably, you know, joint income, 50,000, something like that. They're trying to put some money together to get a deposit of 10%, 15%, whatever they need. Um, the government's not doing anything for them. They're not going to get a 40% discount. How? They must be feeling so frustrated by all of this, surely. It's not easy, you know. Living costs are high. We've seen what you know what diesel and petrol are costing these days. The weekly shop has gone up. Our energy bills have gone up. So, you know, poor first-time buyer is now, you know, the wages have the wages are not rising at the same pace as inflation is. So they are going to have a tough time raising that deposit. So, bank of mom and dad, you know, has to come in and step in at some stage. Some comment here from Marcus Dixon, who's the UK Residential Research Director. He said, uh, critics of the right to buy 
argue that it's been a key contributor to the reduction of social housing provision. There remains an acute shortage of social rented homes. 1.1 million homes on the social housing waiting list, uh, households rather, on the waiting list, and many stuck in unsuitable or temporary accommodation, which I think we mentioned earlier. This can be clearly demonstrated by comparing the number of social housing completions with right to buy sales. So since 1980, across England, there has been 1.19 million new homes completed by local authorities and housing associations combined. Over the same period, the number of right to buy sales totaled 2.19 million. So that means um, that in the last 40 years, there's been a shortfall of almost a million homes. So it's clear that they don't replace the stock that they've sold, which has exacerbated the situation, surely, Joe? Well, replacing stock generally has become a huge challenge. Not, not you know, even though the housing market was um, buoyant during the pandemic, um, the cost of building has gone up quite a lot now, and getting in materials is just a, a challenging task from every developer or builder I speak to, um, and that causes a slowdown in bringing the stock in because if they're not bringing finished their stock on. I was speaking to a developer, a major developer, who put a huge block uh, only um, early during the pandemic. And the problem is that they've got a certain percentage of it finished and the rest of it is not finished because they're still waiting for materials to arrive uh, for which there's a backlog. So even if they were saying we were going to replace this, we are not up to speed in able to replace them as quickly as we'd like to replace them the chances are we're probably going to sell them quicker than we are. I think what the government really needs to look at and all councils really need to look at is the stock that they've got, which they sit on and leave parked, are lying derelict and going nowhere, and they don't have the money to spend to do that. That's the stuff that they ought to get rid of and bring some money back in um, and actually tidy up the environment because some of them are quite an eyesore when you drive around and you know that it belongs to the local authority and all it is is boarded up with tin sheets uh, because they own it. They, have the they haven't got the money to do it. So that is the sort of stuff that I would like to see on the market and somebody buying and doing up and actually making it uh, affordable. They can make that affordable and put some money back into the system. Um, but to build and, and then sell things at 70% discounts which they've actually benefited a discount from the developer in the first place because they don't actually pay market price. What they do is they get them to build it and then they have to sell it to them at, at cost price. Um, and, and then they're now selling those off at a 70% discount to someone else. So, you know, there's no benefit. I mean, if, if the developer was able to sell the same properties to somebody at a slightly lesser discount or the, or the, the government was going to put the deposit in, it might be more encouraging. It might actually um, um, be more beneficial because it will be done as a real sale. And then, as you just said earlier on, the average person who's earning, you know, a couple earning £50,000, they too then have an equal footing to buy something that perhaps is slightly discounted um, and, and, and feel fairer uh, to be able to, to say, OK, well, I've also got a chance here because the government's helping me, but they're not helping the people that are just saying, OK, well, you're living in a rented accommodation produced and presented to you by the Housing Association. And now, you know, and we're funding you. So some sort of benefit or some sort of scheme that they're getting. So, it's, you know, it, it's it's thought out, but it's, I don't think it's properly thought out yet. 
No. Well, the, the, the balance of this, because we always want to provide some balance here, um, there's a new Centre for Policy Studies paper. It's been written by a guy called Alex Morton for the government, and he's advising number 10 on this. He says that the uh, right to buy scheme has been one of the biggest policy successes of the 20th century. Highlights the fact that 10% of households, which is roughly 4.5 million people, have gone into ownership as a result of it. Um, it says that it led to a reduction in waiting lists for social housing, argues that it saves the Treasury around £140,000 per house sold, largely due to the reduced cost of housing benefit when someone becomes an owner. It claims that they spend 2.3 pence on incentivising ownership, whereas they spend vastly more on paying for benefits for, for subsidising of renting. Uh, but they suggest that the government should go further than right to buy and move on to right to own. And under this proposal, tenants would obtain a mortgage worth 60%, Bob, uh, of the value of their home, which would be paid off in payments that rise at the same rates as social rents do each year. Like any other buyer, once the, uh, this ends, the property is owned outright, however effectively at a 40% discount, which mirrors the right to buy discount at a lower rate. In an emergency such as a loss of employment, the tenant will be able to access the equity that they built up, providing a cushion for them. So in other words, the centre believes today's proposal would provide tenants greater security with every rental payment increasing the tenant's share of ownership, still leaving them better protected in the event of final shocks or financial shocks or unexpected costs. So that's right to own. Does that sound like a sensible, fairer system to you, Bob? It did, it did until you said uh, if they lose their job, they can access the equity, yeah. So, uh, which doesn't happen in normal lending circles. You know, if you lose no. your job, the payments are still due. You know, you can't access more money because every new application for further funding is underwritten based on your current circumstances. So if you haven't got a job, no bank on the high street is going to lend you any more money to service your payments. No. So you must have lots of job insurance. So unless they make those sort of things mandatory, you know, then yes, it can work. But the, the, I don't think they're consulting any mortgage brokers or anybody in the industry that really can give them the proper feedback. Um, my only, we won't bother giving them your number then. Yeah, give them my number, yeah. <laughs> my only criticism of this whole scheme is that it doesn't incentivize people to progress. Some of these tenants become lifetime tenants and there's no incentive for them to actually move into a normal housing scenario. So I'd like to see a time limit of, say, a, a review every five years of your circumstances. And if you are earning £50,000 or £100,000 as a family by that time, you know, that right should be taken away because that, property can then be given to somebody who's not at the same level as you are you know you you with that income can actually go and buy something else or rent something else you know why are you occupying you know government property which somebody else could benefit from who's not in a position in a good in as good a position as you are so i think there should be reviews which doesn't happen right now mm. the I, uh, I the center sorry God. sorry joe yeah, i i agree with that uh, bob in the sense that uh, you know once they're in they they get forgotten because the system is so far deep that yeah. you know, they'll be there for another 20, 30 years, 40 years, and then maybe another member of the family has moved in and, and they become the successor of that tenancy and so forth, then it just doesn't go away. I think uh, you're absolutely right that, that you know now time has come in to, the, to this modern world that we are in, that a review should occur um, all round. But it's the resources, Bob. Again, it's the same thing. You know, they, they've done it, they parked it. First of all, they got there. 
They probably had a tenant who needed to be, you know, getting a, a property. They've got them in there, and now they just want to close that chapter and just pay that money month in, month out, and not have to listen to them or hear from them. But if they don't do the reviews, there are innocent, ge ge genuinely ordinary folk that probably do require that assistance who are never going to get on that ladder or get a home on, onto them. And they continue to pedal the same bike, saying, well, we've got to have more housing, more housing, more housing. But actually, if they looked in the cupboard, they probably got enough stock there, which they could recycle and move some other people out to another thing. So, for example, um, if they were in a council property and they, they, they in, in five years' time, as, as, as a suggestion is made, that a review has happened, they may be able to shift them into a housing association property, uh, which has got some benefit of saying, OK, well, look, go and move into a housing association property and do a, a buy, to, buy to let or, or do a, a rental or a share ownership and give this council property that you know is belongs to the council to somebody that is now more needy of this particular property um and i think you're absolutely right they should yeah there's there's there is margin and mileage in what they're talking about but as, you, as bob says they haven't called the right people in so both of us are available for advice if they want us last lastly the center of policy studies suggests that the right to own should even try to incentivize private sector landlords to sell to their tenants um how's that going to work gents Again, without finance and you know, without the uh, the framework behind it, it's not going to work, is it? No. Uh, you know, if your tenants are not able to pay their rent, then how are they going to pay the mortgage? So, really, would you really sell to them? Um, you know, I think yeah, the, it, this needs a lot more thought, a lot more planning, and all these schemes are great headline grabbers, but really, when you, when you come down to the crux of it, they're not workable because ultimately. It's lending, it's regulated by the FCA. There are rules and regulations which, which took years to formulate, you know, have to be pretty much scrapped and, and start again. And that's not, not going to happen for uh, 10 years. No. Well, thank you, gents, for, for discussing Right to Buy. Uh, obviously, a huge national story this week, and um, <clears throat> Boris standing up in Blackpool announcing what effectively, I suppose, was uh, some kind of. Uh, vote-winning uh, strategy, <laughs> let's just put it like that, uh, uh, following uh, all the shenanigans of the last few months. Let's move on to mortgages. I'm going to just do one other story today, but the, another reason it's great to have you here, Bob, is because there's been some conversation in the news this week about um, more lenders currently offering more fixed deals without a fee than a year ago and are charging less on deals that carry a product fee. It's the latest analysis from uh, moneyfacts.co.uk. Study also reveals that the rate gap between fixed deals that carry a product fee and those that do not has narrowed, and that has uh, led to more deals being offered um, with offering cash back than a year ago. Mortgage product fees have fallen on average at £1,057. The average fee currently charged on a fixed rate mortgage deal, not including no fee products, has dropped by £18 year on year. Over the last 12 months, the highest average fee recorded was £1,090, recorded in September of last year, around the time when there were several lenders offering sub 1% fixed fees. So in other words, it seems like although the mortgage rates are going up, Bob, there are some um, um, reductions going on in fees, presumably to try and attract uh, new customers. Yeah, uh, the market's hugely competitive. It always has been. Uh, but these fees are really dressing because we as brokers do look at the rate with a fee and the rate without a fee. And we work out whether it's worth paying the fee or not, particularly in remortgage scenarios. Um, 
And then if it's a small mortgage, often then the no-fee product wins because you don't pay the extra fee over the, your chosen fixed rate period. Uh, but if it's a large mortgage, even like a 0.1, difference makes a big difference on the uh, overall amount payable. So for large mortgages, we do tend to go for products that carry a small fee. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's changing. The lenders are no fools. They see that the market is cooling down slightly. And rates, you know, I'll just give you an example. You know, we were doing five-year fixed rates at sub 1% last year. Now, it's like 2.5%. So, you know, the market's shifted and you know, affordability is going to be really, really impacted upon going forward. Um, not least because confidence has been hit slightly. You know, we're seeing a slight downturn, but and rates are going to go even higher. You know, so if you've not really done anything about your, you know, variable rate mortgages, or if you're coming to the end of your product in the next three or four months, you know, you're going to face a shock because the rates are going to go up pretty much every other month right now. Mm. As regular viewers or, or listeners will know to this show, the vast majority of people take a fixed three or five year usually, isn't it, Bob? And um, if if I'm coming to the end of a fix uh, towards the end of this year, let's just say hypothetically, you know, what should I be what should I be doing? What should I be worried about? What's best advice? Best advice is really take advice as soon as you can. Now, lenders do write to you typically six months before your rate ends. Then they might send you another reminder. But really, that's your trigger to speak to your advisor. Now, you can switch products sometimes as early as three or four months before the actual period of your product ends. And the lenders will take let you take effect of the new rate immediately without a penalty. So if you're in that last three or four month window, you know, you can switch products with the same lender and take a better, better product. Otherwise, if you leave it till the end, then you're going to be prone to the interest rate increases in the, in the interim period. That's if you're staying with your current lender. So do look out for those letters. And when you get that, please contact the broker that maybe did the mortgage or even contact the bank directly and see what options are open to you and when you can trigger the change. And the sooner I feel the better because if the longer you leave it, the rates are gonna rise. Now, as a broker, we look at what the current lender's offering you for your given scenario. And based on your current scenario, we can see what a competitor is offering you. And where that gap is quite significant, we often recommend a complete remortgage. Now, the benefit of doing a remortgage is that you can actually lock into your rate today, six months before the actual rate ends, because the mortgage offer is valid for six months. Mm. So if you, apply, if you apply now, you can lock yourself into today's rates. We can artificially slow down the mortgage offer coming out. And then when it does come out, you've still got six months to actually use it. And that buys you uh, a double sorted benefit because you can either take the new offer if that's more attractive at the right time or when the current lender offers you their products you can see hang on you know which one's going to be better for me if i stay with the current lender so you know you can safeguard you can take um, action to prevent any big uh, big shock in rising of rates when your period uh, ends is there any suggestion, Bob, that the affordability criteria will be relaxed or eased? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if it all starts going up and up and up, which it seems to be doing, obviously, you know, a lot of people are going to fall under the threshold. And, you know, business is yeah. business at the end of the day. They still need to sell mortgages. Yeah, absolutely. As you know, the FCA regulates affordability. So they've given the banks a bit of a uh, instruction booklet as to how they should you know, assess applications. But one lender has come out last month 
if you're doing a like for like remortgage, and that means if you're not borrowing any more and you'd like to leave your current lender, they will apply apply a six and a half times income multiple. Six and a half times. Wow. So if your credit clean and you're not borrowing any more, more money than, than what your current lender is offering you, they will lend you six and a half times. So really, if you're a mortgage prisoner, which meant you couldn't go to any other bank because they were offering only four and a half times, this is now your golden ticket. Yeah, this is the window to maybe consider jumping ship and use the six and a half times income multiple criteria to get a high street product. Because mortgage prisoners are typically with the old um, type lenders who sold their mortgage books on, you know, names that you've never heard of, charging, you know, four or five percent variable rates. Um, because and you can't go to a normal high street bank because they only lend four and a half or five times. You've now got six and a half times income affordability. So if that manifests itself into you know competitive environment, then more and more lenders will offer six times income, maybe for purchases as well, mm. which which at the moment is only for doctors and dentists and sort of the professional market uh, typically. But six times income, I think, will be commonplace next year. Wow. There's a prediction that you heard first right here. Joe, it's great to have uh, that kind of expertise from Bob, isn't it, on the show? Well, for the, with the mortgage business, uh, you know, I, I, I've always gleamed over it, but uh, it, it is a specific area and um, it's always uh, good to have um, Bob get him out of bed earlier enough to come out and, and talk, to <laughs> us about, uh, talk to us about the mortgage side of things. So, yeah, I'm uh, very welcome to do that. And, of course, it's uh, equally important for me to, uh, to learn uh, as we go along. And it's quite interesting to see some of the products that are available. Uh, a question for you, Bob, while you're there, um, and that is that um, um, remortgaging business, uh, for example, I don't see it to be particularly highlighted, um, and yet um, I think uh, it should be probably more prevalent in, in being highlighted. A lot of people don't really know um, or think about remortgaging. Is that something that you find? or? Um, I mean, there's apathy, uh, there's broker apathy, because uh, some brokers don't have management systems to remind their clients. Um, customer apathy, because they get the letter, and they're, oh God, that's six months away, I'll, I'll address it when I when I come around to it. And you know, if the circumstances change in that six month period, or they forget about it, they'll keep on paying the high variable rate, then some people don't even check their bank statements, Joe. So you know, this is this is how apathy sets in sometimes. And this is where we may be slightly different. We've got back office systems where we plug your mortgage into our system and the computer monitors rates from all of the market. And if there's ever a situation where another lender is offering a better product, you'll get an email from us. Um, so we want you to always pay the low, low rate, but unfortunately, unless you're with a broker that has that system in place, they could forget to remind you, you know, you might, look, might not look yourself and then, unfortunately, you're going to be paying the high standard variable rate uh, until you so get your... When, <laughs> when people have asked that question, which obviously I think is quite relevant, that they should be reminded more often that there are more um, attractive rates, perhaps, on, on a remortgage. Um, yeah. Obviously, some of the things that hold them back is perhaps their um, uh, criteria uh, it may not fit, and so they might be quite happy to sit where they are at a higher rate um, yeah. because perhaps credit has become a difficult issue with them over a period. Um, yeah. 
there doesn't seem to be any education that I see um, about about credit because the first thing I tend to sort of say to people now that you know before you actually even approach someone or talk to someone best go and do your own experience or Equifax report and yeah. identify where the issues are as opposed to doing an application and then finding it but then it's a bit too late because now you've highlighted the issues and you've got no chance to modify that. Do you find yeah. that as a broker is there a mechanism that you actually offer to sort of suggest? I'm only saying this because I've, I've not come across and I've been in the, in the industry a fairly short time um, and I've not come across a situation where people are being um, coached, should I say, is probably the right word, in, mm. in making sure that they are made eligible for such changes that may happen. So let's say they had a five-year product, but that is coming to an end in, in, you know, in, in the fifth year, for argument's sake, but they know that they've had some difficulties in year two, three, or four. How can they tidy that in order to be eligible for for the change, what would you be advising um, as a broker to, to get them to do? Yeah, they need to see their broker because um, the good thing about staying with your current lender is that there's no more income checks. So when you switch from one product to another, they don't write to your employer, they don't check your payslips or accounts. The, the switch is automatic, providing, of course, you have a clear history and you're not in arrears, of course. You know, you don't have to prove your income again to get a pro better product with the same bank. And that's where the education lacks because in the in the mind of the customer, they think, oh God, I've got to go to the bank. I've got to show my pay slips. I'm not earning as much as I was last time. Will I get this product or not? You know, the initiative has to come from the customer to take that advice in the first place. And from our viewpoint, we email the customer at least four times in the, in the six month period to remind them that the product is coming to an end that you must do something, otherwise you'll go on to the variable and pay twice the price. Um, but it's all down to shows like this, Joe. <clears throat> people need to take initiative and take, you know, learn from people like you and I uh, to see what their options are. They must take that initiative to actually make that call. Yeah. Good. I'm glad we uh, got that straight. I, I've constantly said that to people, that they should, they should continue to talk. But the problem I find uh, that, and, and the feedback I get is exactly what you've said, and that is that you email them. Or, or, or the banks write to them and they put that envelope on the side or they put that email and say, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Um, but the actual conversation doesn't take place like it used to the way I remember it to be, where mm -hmm. a broker actually picks up the phone and says to somebody, I just thought I'd give you a call to let you know that I've been monitoring your mortgage and this is what you should be able to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then perhaps maybe convince them that they need to actually take that step. I just think that that apathy in the world today of everything being done by text, WhatsApp, email, and a letter uh, has actually stopped the world of conversation, which is part of the reason we brought Property Matters to, to light, because it is a conversation. It's about talking about products, talking about the service, talking about the industry, and hoping that somebody somewhere will glean something from that to say, okay, I should do that. Maybe you should call my broker and have a chat with them. They've actually, you know, woke me up and said I should do X, Y, Z. So that's that's where we try to encourage the the growth of, of, of property matters mm. as a program. And of course, we've now we've made it as a podcast as well as it's available on its own website. So this, you know, we've grown it. It's grown its own self by really the virtue of people that watch it. 
because we've had so much good feedback to to say that we bring in them sort of ordinary good conversation as opposed to it being pretty scientific and clever it's just what we we talk about you know and 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 with me it's it can't be very scientific it is just <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen we must wrap this up as we've uh, we've had a fascinating conversation but we've waffled on far too long today as usual so um, uh, uh, um bob it's been fantastic having your expertise and wisdom please do um Give yourself a free plug so that you're uh, so that people can know where to find you and uh, and your products. Yeah, I am Bob Singh. I, I own Chess Mortgages. So if you want my contact details, just Google Chess Mortgages. You can see our reviews. We genuinely care about you. Uh, it's a long, long relationship that we want to forge. So whatever you've got, first-time buyer, portfolio, buy to let, you know, we pretty much cater for everything, as well as wealth management. So please. Google chess mortgages and then get in touch. And you've done that before, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, gentlemen, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed watching Property Matters and listening to the expertise that we've been able to offer you today. Don't forget, of course, we're here every single Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and on the podcast Monday, 10 o'clock, uh, uh, after the live broadcast on the Sunday. Thanks for watching wherever you've been watching us. We'll see you again next week. Mm -hmm.